0: Hey everyone, we're here again to remind you guys that these next couple episodes, just like last episode, were recorded in December 2019, five years ago.
1: Ages ago, lifetimes ago.
0: Before coronavirus in the US, almost before coronavirus at all. That's true.
1: (laughs) So if it sounds like we're having a conversation completely oblivious to what everyone is being challenged by right now, it's because we had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how are you doing, Brian? Um, good. Uh like I told you before, not that different from <laughs> pre-virus times. Teaching from home, writing, watching movies.
0: Yeah, I guess the second two are the same, but the teaching is over Zoom.
1: It is now, yeah. I would say it's um now my classes are even more similar to Saturday school.
0: So basically, you're used to just talking and not being sure if anyone's listening.
1: Correct. <laughs> 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 in my room by myself, (laughs) talking to a microphone. Yeah, how about you? Is this the same as before?
0: Well, in terms of social life, it's pretty similar, because I really just see my family and kids and nobody else. But my work life, suddenly, I'm covering coronavirus. (laughs) You are? I mean, kind of. I mean, mean, really, everything is coronavirus-related.
1: That's true. You're not doing science reporting, but you are... Talking about how it's impacted the culture and society.
0: Yeah. So basically, I think for a long time, I was watching the coronavirus coverage and being like, well, we don't have to do that because everybody else is doing that. And there was that one week that everything changed. And especially if you're doing arts coverage, like everything either got canceled or it became a coronavirus story.
1: Or it's now all virtual. (laughs) It's
0: weird. And I'm kind of lucky because there's like the horrible stories, but then there's also like the really great stories about people helping each other communities coming together. And those are the stories that I'm doing.
1: Are there any uh, stories that you found kind of heartwarming or can get people through this?
0: I did a story about how like the nail salon industry has rallied together to collect all of their masks and gloves to donate to the healthcare industry.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So that was pretty cool. One of the guys he runs this beauty school, and he actually was supposed to be a doctor. He finished medical school and then dropped out, and sort of joked about how like his immigrant parents were like devastated. But I'm like,
1: but now you're helping doctors, saving saving lives.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Not just saving lives, saving doctors' lives. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Have you found any heartwarming stories?
1: Um, I've been spending a lot of time watching independent Chinese underground films so not exactly heartwarming but you know like very heroic kinds of filmmaking i do want to mention that i recently saw the upcoming pbs documentary series the asian americans executive produced by renee tajima pena directed by folks like grace lee s leo chang it's a cam production it's monumental i saw all five hours of it um and it's basically telling the entire history of asian america and like that's a daunting task like where do you even begin like literally where do you begin what's the what's page one gonna look like and they pull it off the craft is really strong and even if you're familiar with most of these histories it's just nice and kind of powerful to know that the stories are all in one place now so if anyone wants to know this history it's going to become available um and as an educational resource yeah it's just you know really um important so i highly recommend everyone check that out when it's Uh, premieres on PBS in mid-May. So there's there's, there's stuff to kind of get us through these days of being quarantined. There's plenty of films to watch, new and old. And of course, we hope that what we do here at Saturday School, if you're not sure what to watch, that we give you some places to go to, and then hopefully our conversations here are insightful or going to pique your curiosity further. So without further ado, this week's episode... I'm Brian Hu.
0: I'm Ada Singh.
1: And welcome to Saturday School.
0: When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is the ninth episode of our sixth season. This semester, we're talking about Asian films about Asian America. For this episode, we are looking for a more recent film from China that might explore Chinese Americans or what it's like to live in America. There was a few films that came to mind. One of them was Finding Mr. Wright which stars Tong Wei as a pregnant woman who comes to Seattle to deliver her baby. <laughs> it's a comedy, <laughs> and it's a really, really fun film. You guys should all see it, um, except when we watched it, we were kind of like, well, none of them are really Asian-American, so it's not really depicting Asian America.
1: Although it's interesting because it's sort of about birthing Chinese-Americans yeah. or birthing, birthing people with American passports. Yeah. I mean, this is that whole controversy over what some call anchor babies yeah um you come here to give birth so you automatically have a american citizen in your family and that person potentially can reap the benefits of being an american citizen but also potentially bring the family to the united states the film doesn't really go into all that but it's like a romantic comedy of a woman in the u.s who meets somebody else in the u.s and you know what happens but you're right like it wasn't exactly a chinese american film in the way that we were hoping for
0: there was another Tongwe film that we're thinking of also coincidentally set in Seattle called Late Autumn, which is sort of like a similar thing where it's a really interesting story. It's about like a Chinese immigrant and a Korean immigrant in Seattle. And even though that's also a very interesting film, it wasn't quite about Asian-Americans.
1: Yeah. And that one is a Korean production yeah. directed by the really great director Kim Tae-young, who ended up marrying Tongwei.
0: Oh, I had no idea.
1: Yeah, it was it was a big deal in the Korean gossip world and Chinese gossip world. Wow.
0: When that happened. I'm yeah. not in the Korean or Chinese gossip world. <laughs> so we were actually still in the process of searching for a ninth film for us to cover this season. And then there was kind of this shocking news that spread across the internet fairly quickly, that um, the Taiwanese Canadian actor Godfrey Gao suddenly passed away on the set of a Chinese reality show. I think in the course of some very extreme physical activities, um, his heart stopped and then they brought him to the hospital, but then he passed away. So this episode, we kind of wanted to pay tribute to him because he's someone that we've been following for a long time as Asian Americans you know, when we heard the announcement that he was kind of deemed the very first Asian-American supermodel. It was in 2011. It made a lot of news. And of course, for us, it was very exciting because we were like, oh, it's an Asian North American <laughs> actor. Also, for me, it was around the time where I was watching a lot of Taiwanese dramas <laughs> with my then boyfriend, now husband, partially to practice our Mandarin language listening skills and partially for Asia Pacific Arts. we were sort of covering this stuff. And one of our friends, Ann Lee, was like the expert every year for like our end of the year list. She did like a top 10 Taiwanese dramas. And I remember the drama called volleyball lover from 2010. And I remember watching it with Alex. I remember um, showing him the trailer very innocently and being like, I think we should watch this Taiwanese drama. <laughs> and he like looked at it. And a second he looked at me, he was like, I know why you want to watch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we should mention that Godfrey Gao is very, very good looking.
0: I mean, I mean, I think that's probably implied because he was a supermodel. supermodel yeah. But yeah, he's very, very tall. He's very, very good looking. And like Alex knew that I was like obsessed with Takeshi Kaneshiro. And he has a little bit of that like young Takeshi Kaneshiro vibe.
1: Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he's just someone who's who we've been following for a long time. Just kind of just like we've been talking about. Daniel Wu and Daniel Henney and seeing these stars in Asia and wondering if they were ever going to get a shot in Hollywood. So he was one of the people we were watching. And then when um, the Mortal Instruments City of Bones movie came out in 2013, he was cast as Magnus Bane. So that was kind of like the first like, oh, my gosh, maybe he's gonna get a shot here. But it was weird because they dubbed his voice into English. I mean, he speaks English. So it's weird that he yeah <laughs> huh. they dubbed his voice i think to sound more american that's what i think
1: oh. it's really weird that is weird yeah
0: i don't think anyone would have noticed though because i don't think he was famous enough at that point right and he had done most of his acting in mandarin yeah so unless you were a fan of his, like, because he came to Canada a little bit later, I think for elementary school. So he was born in Taiwan. So his English is really, really good, but there's still a little bit of an accent, like a tiny, tiny hint of an accent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The voice in The Mortal Instruments, it's very American bro-y. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so it's kind of weird. So it's just, yeah, but I guess as we've been watching him, what what happened is he went back to Taiwan and China and he had kind of made a name for himself there and mostly TV dramas and some films too he was young he was only 35 so it's just like such a crazy shock it made news for a lot of reasons one it was like such an untimely death but also people were questioning like the safety that was put in place for this reality show for this to even happen
1: and for me like it was noteworthy that he died in china i mean he was born in taiwan Grew up in Canada. He came back to Taiwan to do all these television shows, becoming a bit of a home base for him. But like a lot of talent in Taiwan, even like homegrown Taiwan talent, to get work now, you have to go to China. Mm -hmm. And so he's... In the beginning, he was part of the Taiwanese diaspora. Suddenly, he was also folded into the China diaspora Mm -hmm. or the greater Chinese diaspora. And then sort of that's where he passes away because that's where the work was. Mm -hmm. That kind of made me think about his relationship to China, or rather China's relationship to him Mm -hmm. and China's relationship to other kinds of overseas Chinese actors. So that had me thinking about, hmm, is there something we can explore with the films of Godfrey Gao on this season?
0: And then we saw this movie from 2017, which is a little bit more recent than we usually cover for this Asian American pop culture history podcast. But we thought we'd make an exception just so we can honor him a little bit and think about his contributions.
1: Yeah, so we focused on the 2017 film Love is a Broadway hit. Um, It's directed by Peter Lee, who is a director who's originally from Hong Kong. He kind of moved to the U.S. in the 70s. He went to NYU in the 80s from the same time Ang Lee was there. I think they were classmates maybe. And then he hasn't really, his career hasn't really taken off, but he did make this 2017 film Love is a Broadway hit, which is a Chinese production from studios in China, but it's completely set in New York City.
0: The Chinese title is Love Meets Manhattan.
1: I think that's a reference to the Chinese title of Finding Mr. Right, which is Beijing Meets Seattle. Um, so this idea that like the city itself as a subject, I mean, as, a, as you know, like the cliche is, is a character in the film. And, and so something about New York is of interest here. And in its English title, that's Broadway. And if you're going to make a film about New York, about Broadway, and about Chinese people in these places... You need somebody who can authentically or convincingly prove to the audience that they belong there, and perhaps not surprisingly, that role went to a person who has kind of dual worldliness. At least, if China is a the censure, then his growing up in Canada makes him kind of North American. But also, I think significantly that he's also from Taiwan, and he was known to be a kind of Taiwanese actor even in China. That's an extra layer of him being closer to the rest of the world or outside of China. So. All of that gives him a certain worldly credibility that made him perfect for the role of Wei Dong, an aspiring actor, trying to make it. Like, what you, like, he's a stunt double who gets slapped all the time. <laughs> he's like on the street singing. How ridiculous this is. It's like He's like so good looking. It's, like, it's as if a supermodel is on the street destitute, like singing with the guitar, trying to sing for money.
0: Yeah, he's like a failed stand up comic, too. Oh, yeah, stand up comedy is so <laughs> bad. But it's supposed to be
1: bad. Everyone knows that Chinese students are good at math, right? I remember. Uh, I know it's not supposed it's to be good, concept. but man, is it bad. Xiaoming is, is also a great scientist. One time, our physics teacher asked the class what human invention helped us defy gravity. Xiaoming quickly shot up his hand and yelled out. Real estate because the prices are gravity defying. Get off the damn stage, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's not even believable as a failed stand up comic. People would just be like, can you just go model? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's interesting that, like, it's actually in the stand up comedy that we see his most Chinese American side. Yeah. A lot of stand-up comedy is about like, oh, you know, I cultural conflict of when I was in second grade and the teacher didn't understand me, and that, that, that sort of thing, and him being an outsider. And that's really the only time in which his outsider status as a person of Chinese descent in the United States is foregrounded. After that, he's just a Chinese character, as is his love interest in the film. Her name is Bai Qi, played by Wang Li Kun. And she is also an aspiring actor trying to make it in New York. She's kind of a dancer. They have a meet-cute when they're both extras on the same movie directed by Steven Spielberg um, (laughs) in Times Square. And then, I don't know if we want to spoil it, if it's a spoiler, but they end up going for the same role, a major, major Broadway role. I think we don't
0: need to spoil it right now, but if you're scared of spoilers of a three-year-old Chinese rom-com. Maybe don't listen to the rest of the episode because I think we're going to have to talk about it (laughs) because
1: it's so ridiculous. (laughs) We'll give you the spoiler alert later when we're going to get to that section. Yeah.
0: But for her character, because she's at least to like an Asian-American viewer, is obviously not Chinese-American. Like when she speaks English, she speaks like a Chinese person.
1: Hello, I'm Bai Qi. See you next time.
0: (laughs) There's a little bit of explanation for her character. She wants to be a star. She Goes to New York and she's there on a visa. But like you said, they never really go into his backstory. We assume he's Asian American, but he speaks Chinese throughout the whole thing. For some reason, everyone else in America can speak Chinese <laughs> or understand
1: Chinese. The white guy who is one of the producers on this musical speaks great Chinese, of course, great Mandarin.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's also scenes when they have a, they have an Indian American neighbor, slightly a racist depiction of him. Like you said earlier, it's like the equivalent of the Kalho depiction of Chinese Canadians. <laughs> 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 I definitely remember some scenes where obviously like his character wouldn't understand Mandarin, but they just speak to him in Mandarin and it's like he understands.
1: That's bullshit. I waited for them here all day yesterday, and no one came. Yeah. It's
0: like they didn't even bother in editing to explain.
1: It's that. like he can read the subtitles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think what this getting at, there's not a lot of friction. No. Chineseness does not create friction. No. And as a result, even a Godfrey Gao character, who is, for all intents and purposes, a Chinese-American character, his inability to get a job as an actor in New York has nothing to do with this race. Whereas I think from an Asian-American perspective, Not being able to get a job in Broadway or in Hollywood has... almost everything to do with race. yeah. But this is a film that completely erases that kind of friction. And so when the actor's Bai Chi is trying to get a job, the fact that her English is terrible is never a factor. That kind of cultural <laughs> friction is what we normally think about as inherent in the Chinese-American or Chinese immigrant experience.
0: Especially in the entertainment industry. And I think that's partially why we can always so freely joke about how these Asian-American men are so good-looking. and they, You know what I mean? Because it's like this weird thing where if they were a super good-looking white guy, It wouldn't be as interesting to talk about how good looking they are. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions to this rule, right? But there is something about kind of covering the Asian American film industry and understanding how being Asian is an inherent challenge in the industry that... Suddenly there's somebody like Godfrey Gao who's like probably like the best looking person ever and he feels like an underdog. And I think he is. Like I don't know even if he hadn't passed away like how good his chances of breaking into Hollywood were. I just, yeah. If he had made it, he would have felt like an underdog, you know. And then the fact that he was kind of between cultures, the fact that he was paving this path in Taiwan and China even though he grew up in Canada, that also feels a little bit underdogish, you know.
1: Yeah. And in fact throughout the film it seems like America's craving Chinese culture. They love it. This Indian roommate that you mentioned, he's in love with Chinese dramas, like TV dramas. So it seems like people are craving Chinese media. They're making Mulan on Broadway. At one scene, Godfrey Gao's character is trying to... I don't know if he's trying to impress the casting agents. So he brings some like pastries from China. They love it. So it's sort of like Chinese culture has no problem infiltrating the United States here. Chinese Americans would find this highly suspect... (laughs) But that's interesting. To me, this is interesting as a vision of what China feels like its role and opportunity is in the world.
0: But then I feel like when we put Godfrey Gao in this world, I feel like there's a lot of leaps you have to make in Logic to enjoy this rom-com. Which is, you know.
1: (laughs) It's not not the best movie. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but
0: it's funny because I think like there's certain things you kind of buy into because you're like, well, yeah, because it's Godfrey Gow. If he comes and brings you any sort of Chinese pastry, of course you'd be excited about it. If he's going to take you to some Shanghainese restaurant, of course you would be excited about it. You know, it's like he kind of pulls it off because of his looks, I think.
1: (laughs) That's like that utopic sense of film desire that we've always hoped that these really good-looking Asian-Americans could, through their looks be able to tap into and just make everyone feel like, oh, I don't care if they're Asian. They're really hot. That's been our basically our thesis on, like, on Asian-American stardom for the last 15 years.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a little bit of truth to it. Right,
1: but that's kind of what you're speaking to here, right? Like someone with a Godfrey gal... Glow, all of our prejudices should just melt away. That's the utopia. We know that's not how the world works, but we just hold this hope that maybe that's how film works. Yeah. That's kind of how it's working in this movie, too.
0: It's like the ease that certain leading men in rom-coms have. Godfrey Gao, I think, often plays this character. And Volleyball Lover, that is his character. He plays, like, this guy that all the women fawn over. I think if you weren't as good-looking as Godfrey Gao, like, you would just roll your eyes at it. But, um... (laughs) for him to be in that role it seems just realistic he's a guy who walks around and then girls are just nervous to talk to him like that just seems like a documentary (laughs) yeah Hollywood would never portray an Asian American male like that but you get that sense of ease and charisma and simplicity in a way in this film
1: and it matches really well the way that the film is a rom-com his sparkliness in his looks like matches the sparkliness of the genre and and so it just seems to go together yeah kind of in the way that Daniel Henney and Shanghai Calling did too and they're both like films about cities and sort of the glamour of cities and with their like skyscrapers and buildings and he is himself sort of this like totemic beautiful structure
0: but I feel like there's something about Godfrey Gao and his appeal that feels very innocent I feel like there's kind of like a sweetness to him Like a sweetness, goofiness to him. There's this sort of like sincerity that made him a very good fit for like a Taiwanese drama, Uh, which is also very innocent and very sweet.
1: You know what I mean? I can't speak for people in Taiwan watching him, but I know that me as a Taiwanese American watching him in these roles in Asia, in Taiwan or in China, I have to feel like he's an underdog, right? Because I think just knowing that he is an Asian American like I know he's an underdog in professional life I may be overstating that or overthinking that but as a result I would just root for him
0: so to go back to the movie it's such a weird premise maybe this is where the spoiler alert should come in sure yeah, yeah <laughs> did yeah. you know how they were gonna be competing before you no I did not I know had either. no idea
1: <laughs> yeah I did not all right so so let's just it's not really a spoiler. it happens about halfway through the film <laughs> So basically, we see throughout the first half that Baichi is going for auditions. She hears that Godfrey Gall's character is also going for auditions. Um, And she's auditioning for the lead role of Mulan in this Broadway musical adaptation. And it turns out, so was he. (laughs) And it's down to both of them, a man and a woman trying out for the same role of Mulan. And they just like explain it like, well, Mulan half the time is a guy. So, so this makes sense, right? Mulan is both a guy and a girl in the story, which means either an actor or actress can play her.
0: Not only is half the time Mulan is a guy, but also this is America, equal opportunity for everyone. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Like gender is fluid here. Oh my here. gosh. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, that's, that itself is fascinating, especially given the legacies of something like Madame Butterfly right. and like, like the way that um like David Henry Huang did M Butterfly with this like effeminate Asian man who the world of Broadway thinks is a woman or wants so badly to believe is a woman so I can't help but think about that as well and like that kind of history in in, in US culture and Broadway culture
0: but you know that like these Chinese Hong Kong filmmakers did not have any of this in mind
1: <laughs> right there's no way they had I, I don't I highly doubt they had this in mind which is strange because Peter Lee came of age. I think he was in New York when M. Butterfly happened. <laughs> so maybe he knew. Yeah, maybe. But in any case, like, it doesn't, see, like, his, the queerness, the queering of him just seems totally natural. It's like, there's America. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, he, he could play, play either gender. He could play a great Mulan. Yeah.
0: And it's like, the tone of it is so weird because they're very serious about it. Like, he's seriously auditioning and they're seriously considering him. But I feel like the moments where he's kind of auditioning and kind of performing are the most comedic.
1: Yeah. And
0: I think it's purposefully comedic. Like when they both sing, and then like she sings her beautiful song, and then when he sings, you just assume he's gonna <laughs> sing with his voice, but his voice is just as high-pitched and beautiful <laughs> as hers. Okay, too 2 we're gonna do some scales again. Bye, you go first. Nice. okay song you try the same thing one two and it's almost like played straight but for comedy they show both of them doing similar dances because they're both doing the same auditions but they don't they don't like make it flamboyant or anything they don't like play it up for last in that way which would have been offensive not that there weren't other offensive things in the movie but um, but he's just just god freak out dancing
1: yeah (laughs) and i think that's kind of similar to what we were saying last week with daniel henny like being a rock star in korea like some of it is it's sort of cheesy it's sort of like not believable but because it's a different sort of cultural entertainment environment that maybe this works maybe this is this is maybe this is supposed (laughs) to be played straight and I think this is also a reminder of why this is not an Asian American film. Because I think also the other classic Asian American male hang up is like not wanting to be perceived as feminine. And uh. so for this like ultra masculine Godfrey Gal character to be feminized that way is not a problem at all within the context of this Chinese film. Which is sort of liberating, right? Like like I think an Asian American film would find this so they wouldn't dare go there, I think. And if they did, they'd have to qualify it in terms of this hang-ups of Asian American masculinity. But here, like, you know, just let him fro- like, frolic around. Like, it's totally fine.
0: Yeah, let's put him in, like, is it even a dress? It's almost like a frock.
1: It's not really a dress, but it, it's sort of flowy.
0: And he has, like, some lipstick on. Yeah,
1: and then he shaves.
0: But it doesn't look like drag. It just it just looks like, wow, Godfrey out looks really good with makeup on.
1: <laughs> I think it's also, partly it's Mulan. Um, who is sort of a, a kind of asexual type of figure? Yeah, yeah, but it's also like it's also Broadway and modern dance. Yeah, and yeah. so maybe within that world. Yeah, that makes that, sense. You know, it's more fluid. <laughs> but it's 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 yeah it's it's like I was pretty surprised when that twist happened because it's something that we would never see in Asian American cinema. Yeah, or and certainly not in American cinema. Yeah. I mean, if, but if it happened in American cinema, we would be like, oh yeah, of course you would think the Asian man is is, is feminine. But in the China context, it's like, it's kind of cool then that actually when China sees the terms in which it can step onto the world, that those terms could include a certain kind of gender fluidity. Like, hey, why not? Yeah. Uh, That said, they also kind of very importantly qualify his cross-gender performance via Mei Fang, like the classic male actor who played a lot of female parts so they do say there's a history of this in Chinese theater right the queerness is still on the surface though as much as they qualify because it's Godfrey Gao Godfrey Gao is not a Beijing opera star he is a Louis Vuitton male model it's playing with these things in a really kind of fresh way right I also want to just say something talking about China's aspirations on Broadway in New York City there's a whole scene in the film where they get stuck on a building on a rooftop and it oversees Times Square <laughs> and that immediately reminded me, China has been desperate to get onto advertising on Times Square. Do you have you heard about this?
0: Oh, I don't know that.
1: In twenty sixteen, China put a ad on one of those rotating electronic billboards in Times Square talking about its claim over some, some islands in the South Seas.
0: Oh really? Yeah, and In Times Square?
1: In Times Square.
0: <laughs> they thought that was where they would change hearts and minds. <laughs> China
1: has a pretty whack notion of how soft power works. <laughs> like, they think that if you just get in Times Square, like, the world will listen. So Times Square is this place that China has been trying to infiltrate and try to stake a claim in. And if indeed it's not working, if these ads haven't been working, then at least a movie like this is sort of making it seem possible that China can be in the billboards of New York City.
0: In the movie, it's like this breathtaking, beautiful spot, like the perfect place to fall in love. But yeah, in general, it's a very wacky movie. Do you recommend it? Um,
1: I, I, I recommended somebody who was interested in Godfrey Gao. I suspect that a lot of people kind of follow Chinese popular culture. You would have heard that Godfrey Gao passed away. Maybe you hadn't seen a lot of films because his films haven't been... He hasn't been in a lot of high, high, big, big Chinese movies. Yeah, like the Highest yeah. profile Chinese yeah. films. So maybe a lot of people haven't seen his films So or seen his work. Maybe they only know him as a model. But... Yeah, like like seeing this film is a great good way to see like why he might have been an idol in China.
0: I think that's true. There's a lot of things in this movie that I think you have to just sort of roll your eyes at and kind of just go with the flow, I guess. Yeah. Like the main character, she's really kind of a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time it's you're right. It's but it's like through this movie you see Godfrey Gao's appeal. Like his appeal is laid out in this movie.
1: And how that appeal is tied to his North Americanness, his association with being some kind of overseas Chinese or Chinese American. And how his identity as Chinese American, even though it's not narrated in the film in any kind of authentic Chinese American experience or any Chinese American storyline, is still a powerful one. And one that I think is critical at this moment when China is very serious about locating itself in the world and proving to... Not just the entire world, but proving to its own audiences, its own people, that they belong. That this sort of this China dream, I think, as they call it, isn't just to become big in China, but to be big all around the world. And there's no bigger stage than than Broadway. <music>
0: school is a proud member of potluck a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the asian american community it's produced by me and brian our logo is by grace talis lee our theme song is courtesy of rimsky music and premium beat check out our website at saturdayschoolpodcast.com or you can tweet us i'm at ada singh a-d-a-t-s-e-n-g brian's at who's brian h-u-s-b-r-i-a-n and the podcast twitter handle is Wake Up sat school Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2010 film, My Name is Khan*.
1: Kiss her! Come on, man. Kiss her. Come on, man.
0: Hurry up. Rest in peace, Godfrey Gao. We'll miss you. you notice that, like, they had a prince of North Africa? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and at first like, I was like, did they say South Africa or North Africa? No, South no they said a real North voice. Africa. And then, yeah, and I was like, and then when you hear his, his voice, it's like, I, I don't know what kind of accent that is. It was, like, kind of French. Despair. I killed it in North America. It was charging and lunging at me.
0: I looked him up. His name's Dennis Oy. OOI, that was his very first film role. Ah. Um, so, I mean, I'm rooting for him. Why not? Because <laughs> then we could be like, he started out. Office of Guffey As the Prince of North Africa <laughs> in a Chinese rom com about New York.